Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Life Wired podcast, and thank you guys for joining us on this Monday, August 21st. Today's episode is going to be all about fat loss, and with it being the summer months and Chris and I coaching a lot of our clients currently through cutting phases and fat loss phases, we decided this, this would be a great episode just to help give you guys our top tips that we know if you implement and can really add into just your focus and your routine around your nutrition, around your training, you are going to see substantial substantial results over time. And not only that, but you will also see sustainable results. And that's really what we're going for here. We want to help you guys achieve those long-term results. But before we begin, this episode is brought to you by Nash Nutrition. The Nash Bar is made with simple and nourishing ingredients, 20 grams of protein, and is naturally sweetened with honey and dates. And what a lot of people don't realize is that most of the so-called healthy protein bars that you find on the market are in fact heavily processed with fillers and unnatural ingredients. And we know that if we consume too much processed food too often, it can eventually lead to long-term health issues. And so this is why Chris and I personally love the Nash Bars. We never even have to think twice about the ingredients. Now they're friendly for Chris as well, being you know dairy-free, and they truly are the good-for-you protein bar. So make sure you guys go to the show notes after today's episode to get yourself a box of bars to try. And this episode is also brought to you by my Everyday Athlete Blueprint program. This is my exclusive one-on-one online coaching program designed for male former athletes who are looking to lose body fat and gain muscle in the next 12 weeks. I am opening up limited spots on my coaching roster for this upcoming September, so if you're interested, make sure to fill out the Everyday Athlete Coaching application in the show notes after today's episode. So on to episode number 99, six sustainable tips for fat loss. Closing in on that 100. Pretty crazy, right? Yeah, next week is Zach's birthday. If you guys didn't know, now you know. Well, late next week. But next week's episode is his birthday special is what I'm getting at, where we talk about the life lessons from each year. So something to look forward to for the 100th episode. Absolutely. And so for today's episode, guys, we will dive just right in to our number one sustainable tip for fat loss. And that is, as all of you may know, a calorie deficit. And so this really is the basis of sustainable, consistent fat loss. You know, we have to get ourselves into an energy depleted state to initiate weight loss, fat loss. Um, You know, both really do go hand in hand in a cutting phase. You know, we do have situations where we can coach clients through like maintenance phases and create body recomposition. We also have clients, you know, that we coach through reverse diets and we see a lot of body composition change as well. But we really want to talk about this from the standpoint of a true calorie deficit. And so really one of the main things that I personally believe a lot of people fail to do when trying to achieve a calorie deficit is tracking food accurately, logging food accurately. Um, and that really comes down to like being honest with yourself. And this is where I think self-awareness, we talk about self-awareness all the time, but when it comes to like fat loss, weight loss, and just any, any aspect of your fitness journey, self-awareness is your superpower, just like it is anything else. Because a lot of us, like when we're trying to, you know, get ourselves in this energy depleted state, we may not account for some of those, you know, coffees we're having during the day. We don't sometimes maybe count, you know, those late night snacks, you know, it's just a, it's just a couple chips or it's just a couple spoonfuls of almond butter, um, vanilla almond butter. That's our go-to. But, um, so you guys kind of get what I'm saying. There's so many small little areas of our nutrition that can very, very, very easily slip through the cracks. And so typically like when we're coaching a client through a calorie deficit and through a fat loss phase, um, cutting phase in general, this is typically like one of the first kind of user errors that we see when it comes to tracking food, you know, it can, it can look on paper as if the client or even ourselves, when we're, you know, going through this and tracking through a progression like this, it may look on paper, like, you know, everything is accurate, but if we're not count accounting for some of those, you know, foods or drinks, liquid calories, especially that are slipping through the cracks, like those are still very much. So calories, those are still playing into your total energy intake for a given day. And that's really what a calorie deficit comes down to guys is getting yourself into a rhythm. I almost really like to think about it like a rhythm because it's what happens over time, not just in like one day or a couple of days, but you know, we need to string together successful weeks at a time to see our body trending in a calorie deficit. So that's why it's so important to get ourselves in a position where our energy intake is basically trending below our energy expenditure. And We've talked about this before on this podcast episode and, you know, the, some of the most 
intelligent people in the health and fitness space, especially around the aspect of nutrition, will tell you this exact same thing. And that is that there is no 100% certain way to figure out exactly like what your maintenance calories are and exactly the calories you need for cutting phase. Now, that being said, we have many different tools to help us get there as accurately as possible. And so a lot of the, you know, TDEE calculators or Mifflin St. Gior formulas out there that will calculate your maintenance calories are in fact pretty accurate. That being said, we also have to put into fact, or we also have to put into consideration, um, you know, the lifestyle factors prior to you making that calculation, thinking about diet habits, diet history prior to but making that calculation and a lot of the past experiences of your own health and fitness journey, especially nutrition habits, will play a big role in whether or not that number is accurate. And then the one 100% certain way to figure out is this number accurate or not is to start tr eating calories at that number and tracking those calories at that number. And then we can assess how the body is changing over time as well as how the weight is essentially changing over time. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that you can utilize, you know, over time to figure out if you're trending in that direction, some of which are those things that I mentioned. But at the end of the day, you know, it really does come down to being accurate. And I know that Chris and I have learned this really the hard way through so many different seasons of our own lives where I know we've even battled against we've even battled against our own habits. I know I for a fact, you know, have gone in waves where, you know, I do start letting some of those things slip. And then I'm like, you know, those little things I'm letting slip in my tracking are really starting to add up because you guys would be shocked as much as we are, you know, very um, outspoken about balance and incorporating, you know, certain foods or drinks into your diet that you enjoy, you do have to be accurate. At the end of the day, accuracy is everything when it comes to trending in a calorie deficit. Yeah. And there's so many reminders of tracking accurately that like stick out to me when you said that. And one, for example, was this morning, it's August 21st and I pulled out the pumpkin spice coffee this morning, the pumpkin spice creamer. And in the past, I would just pour the creamer in and you can drastically underestimate the calorie intake that can come from something so small like a condiment or a sauce or a coffee if you grab one at a coffee shop and this morning I saw Zach pull out the food scale and weigh his creamer and I'm like oh I gotta weigh my creamer out yeah <laughs> it's sneaky because it's like 15 milliliters 30 calories and it's like you know three servings of that that's 90 calories just like that and it's easy to go over that like just like eyeballing I used to count like I was a bartender for a long time, I almost said my whole life <laughs> as a bartender for a good amount of time. And you do like a four count when you pour liquor. So I would like when we make our coffee in the morning, do like a one, two, three, four. And that is like over a hundred calories if you think about it. And obviously in the moment, it may not seem like a big deal, but like Zach said, it's that compound effect of stacking the odds in your favor for weeks on end. So if you're going over your calorie goal day after day after day, guess what? At the end of the week, you're now in a calorie surplus versus a calorie deficit. And that's really why I was talking about like looking at the weeks and how they trend over time, because another, you know, kind of thing that we see amongst clients that we coach as well is, you know, individuals will be in a killing it, you know, Monday through Friday, like in a calorie deficit, nailing those calories. But then, you know, we get to the weekend and we don't say account for like our alcohol or some of the food that we're eating at these restaurants. And before we know it, you know, Friday night happens, Saturday happens, you know, some of the day drinking, some of the, you know, cheat meals, cheat day, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then before you know it, you know, all those excess calories that you consumed over the weekend are now elevating that deficit that you had all week. So then we, when we look at the average of what we consumed per day calorically, that average went from the deficit to either maintenance or even most cases into a surplus. Yeah. And you'll be able to tell on the scale for sure. Obviously there will be some fluctuations if you're eating out, if you're drinking alcohol, if you're having inflammatory foods, but for the most part, those trends of fluctuations going up and down on a consistent basis has a lot to do with your weekend calorie consumption. One more thing I want to mention on the calorie deficit before we dive into the second sustainable tip for fat loss is creating a sustainable calorie deficit like Zach said is so important because what holds people back from fat loss is doing it in a drastic way. I know for me, like when I first started tracking in my fitness pal, it was like 1200 calories is your goal. How long can you maintain that? Probably five days, Monday through Friday on the weekend, you go over. And that constant loop causes your body to hold on to fat versus losing it. And that's why a reverse diet is so important because you're able to cut at a higher amount of calories. Old me would cut 1200. I'll even be honest in my bodybuilding days, like it was so low in calories that, like I said before, it caused me to lose my period. It messes up your hormones. It's not sustainable. 
then you rebound. And is that a sustainable fat loss journey? No. So reverse dieting, I've gone through probably like three successful reverse diets since then. Now I'm able to cut at what I used to quote maintain at. And I think that's just such a phenomenal point as it relates to sustainability, because I would say that's a huge trap for most people where, you know, we go into that like heavy restriction. We're like, okay, we want those results. We want them fast. Let's cut calories. Let's literally like get to a point where we're starving ourselves, you know, in a thousand calorie deficit, 1200 calorie deficit. And the trap with that is on the back end, you may make it a week, you may make it two weeks, you may make it even, you know, even a month. But then at some point, like that extreme deficit is going to cause, at least I know this has happened to me. I know what happens to clients too, if they ever get themselves into too deep of a deficit where, you know, that refeed's coming like that, that, that drastic, like, you know, almost like starvation feeling of like serious hunger starts to overcome. And then that's when you overconsume, And then that's where basically, um, you can't get in that calorie deficit. So that's why like staying in that slight three to 500 calorie deficit is, is magical because not only are you going to get the results, but it's so easy to sustain hunger. Like you're, it's so much easier to fill like that three to 500 calorie deficit with a lot of volume food. That's going to keep you full and satisfied versus, you know, food that is more calorically dense where, you know, you're going to be taking in a ton of calories, but then, you know, not feel satiated, not feel full at all. Yeah. Which brings me to number two, which is to eat more goal food. So for a lot of people, when they start a calorie deficit, they obviously, when we track macros and we use the flexible dieting method, a lot of people can weave in processed foods that are very low volume. And I actually took a picture yesterday. I went to the grocery store and I was, some cravings were kicking in at the grocery store. I never grocery shop hungry. And yesterday I did. And that's my first mistake. My second mistake was feeding into these pretzels that I really wanted. If you guys have never had the Quinn pretzels, they sell them at Whole Foods and they're like sea salt. They're so good. The texture is amazing, but they're not a big volume food. Most pretzels like are like 16 to 20 pretzels per serving. These are like six because they were cheese filled and they were dairy free. And I'm like, I've never seen those before. I need them. And then I also got popcorn because we like to have like movie night, Sunday night, Monday nights, for example. And the fiery hot lesser evils only found at this one Kroger we go to. So I'm like, okay, I'll just stock up on these. When I got home, I was just like doing this for content sake of showing the serving size of these two processed foods. Obviously, popcorn is a 1% better option, but they're snacks. They don't have, you know, protein. They don't have fiber. They don't have those micronutrients that we get from Whole Foods shopping the perimeter of the grocery store. If you need to break down goal food, soul food, that's a good perimeter to focus on. Like perimeter of the grocery store aisles are typically processed foods. So these pretzels were six pretzels per serving, and it was like 180 calories. And the popcorn is 110 calories for three cups. So it's like an overflowing bowl full of popcorn is six pretzels. So it's like the size of my fist versus the size of my head for a serving size. And it's the same amount of calories or even less. So that shows you like the volume foods, but it doesn't even come down to, that's not even the point here in terms of calories in, calories out. It's mostly like you have to eat those goal foods to generate that thermic effect of food, which your whole daily calorie burn for the day, that TDEE we always talk about. It includes what your body burns at rest, which is your BMR. The more lean muscle mass you have on your body, the higher that metabolic rate. It also includes your thermic effect of food. So when we eat goal foods, we eat protein, your body's generating calories, it's burning calories to digest those foods. And then your NEAT, which is your steps on top of that, is what creates your TDEE. So there's so many things that create your total daily calorie burn And eating goal foods is a huge piece of that. So if you subscribe to the if it fits your macros method, which I used to as well, you're not going to get a whole lot of bang for your buck, which then makes your hunger levels a lot higher because you're lacking fiber. You're lacking micronutrients, which means your energy levels are going to drop and you're also wasting your calories. It's like buying things that are super expensive versus buying something that's on sale. Your budget can stretch a lot further when you buy things that are cost effective or on sale versus buying things that are outrageously expensive when you could have got it at a lower price somewhere else. So those goal foods are lower in calories, they're higher in volume, they give you micronutrients, and also your body generates more calories to digest them. And a lot of people, like I said, will waste their calories with processed food. So I created a question on my check-in form of like, of your 100% of your total calorie goal for the day, how much of it is goal food? And anytime I see it slip below 80%, which is that 80-20 lifestyle, like that 80-20 lifestyle only really works if you have 80% goal foods, 20% soul food. Anytime that soul food starts to creep up into the 30%, 40%, or even 50%, I see every biometric on the check-in form completely plummet. Aside from hunger levels, those skyrocket, energy drops, digestion drops, 
And that's when you start to recognize the importance of eating goal food. So if you're trying to have a sustainable fat loss phase, you'd be doing yourself a disservice to fill your calories with tons of processed foods. Of course, there's a time and place, but if you exceed that moderation of 20%, you're going to notice it and decrease your digestion, which makes you bloated. doesn't feel good when you're in a fat loss phase and you see bloat inflammation because a lot of processed foods are also inflammatory foods, which then makes you feel puffy. It makes you feel bloated and that's going to impact your scale weight. It's going to impact your progress pictures. So all of your fat loss is being masked by just eating processed foods. Even though you're crushing your calorie goal, it does matter what you're filling those calories with. Yeah. And eating those goal foods in a calorie deficit is just like so crucial, you know, because that's the best way for us to manage those hunger levels. Kind of like the example I gave where, you know, when we get in that slight deficit to achieve that weight loss and that fat loss, we want to be smart about how we are filling those calories. And that is something that, you know, I see time and time again with my own clients where, you know, we're in just like a slight deficit and they, you know, in their check-in are like, I am so hungry. And then I like go to the food logs and, you know, a lot of it is being filled with like processed bread or, you know, a higher fatty or like a fattier meat, not a lean protein, you know, for example. And so I know that's something I've fallen in the trap of as well. I know like over the weekends, I love eating brisket. And like when I'm in a cutting phase, I know that, you know, the protein of brisket, since it's like so fatty, that it's just not going to give me as much volume as like a leaner protein. So, you know, I tend to sometimes like have to be careful with like the quantity I'll get of that. Like that's something I really like to get as like a treat for myself. But I know if I eat, you know, 16 ounces of brisket, like that is going like a pound of brisket, it's going to make up it's going to eat away like so many of my daily calories. So it's just, you know, about being smart about what calories you're deciding to consume. Because at the end of the day, not all calories are created equal. And the last thing I'm going to say about the goal food, soul food ratio is that what I tell clients a lot of times is that your calories will determine your weight. Of course, like if you're in a calorie deficit, you will see weight loss and your goal food, soul food ratio and protein intake determine your body composition. So for a lot of people who may see the scale weight go down, but they don't have that toned look there you know, trying to achieve, it's because their body composition is being negatively impacted by a low protein intake or that their calories are made up of soul food. So keep that in mind that your calories, yes, will determine your weight, but your protein and your goal food is going to determine your body composition, which is what you see in the mirror, how your clothes fit, how your measurements change, which is what we see for the most part to the naked eye of what our progress looks like. Exactly. And number three is protein intake. And I would say, you know, most individuals that Chris and I both coach male and female, you know, most of the time when these individuals come into our program and we get our initial one week assessment of what their caloric intake looks like, typically a massive portion of those calories are made up of carbs and fats. And then the one macronutrient that tends to be very, very limited or not focused on is that protein intake when in reality, you know, that protein intake, we know it's going to help with muscle growth, muscle repair. You know, it's also going to help us increase that metabolism because of more muscle tissue on our body. We know a lot of those physical attributes of protein intake, but a huge aspect of protein intake that a lot of people don't talk about is how satiating it is. And it keeps you full for longer. You know, when we start to fill most of those calories with protein, those hunger levels curve drastically. And so, you know, as far as protein intake goes for most individuals, one gram per one pound of body weight is absolutely plenty to elicit muscle growth, muscle recovery, as well as like we talked about those, um, satiating benefits of protein intake. And so, you know, for me, for example, I'm a, you know, 210 pound male, 210 grams of protein would be solid for me. I personally like to eat a little bit more protein based off of my total calories. So I personally like to fill more of my total calories from protein versus from carbs and fats. I like to do a more balanced distribution of carbs and fats. So a lot of that can be more preference-based as it relates to your total caloric intake. But at minimum, we should all shoot for that one gram per one pound of body weight if we do want to create that muscle protein synthesis, muscle repair, and ultimately muscle growth, and ultimately a higher metabolism. And so if you're someone who you know has tracked your protein intake, because I have seen this with clients where you know they come into my program, they're you know 180, 190 pound male, um, you know, they start tracking protein and they're only eating, you know, say, you know, 50, 50 to 80 grams a day. We can't overnight expect them to jump hundred grams of protein. Their, their digestion, their gut health would, would quite literally probably not be the best. Um, and so that's where we want to slowly allow our bodies to adapt over time 
to those higher levels of protein intake. And that's the same thing when it comes to calories as well. Chris and I talk about, you know, reverse dieting and increasing your calories, increasing your protein intake over time. This is a gradual process. And I think that this is a really good point that you guys can take with you from this podcast is if you are someone who feels like or knows you are significantly under consuming protein, significantly under consuming on calories, like we're talking below your BMR, below your one gram per one pound of body weight, slowly increase, you know, about 10 grams, 10 to 20 grams, you know, per week if you're a male or 100 to 200 calories, you know, every week if you're also a male. I know Christina likes to maybe take it a little bit slower. Is that right? Yeah, I typically do 50 calories per week for a reverse diet and I bump up in like five to 10 gram increments weekly for protein intake just because like you said, digestion plays a huge role here. And for a lot of women, if you have a significant amount of weight to lose, I will sometimes have their overall goal at 0.8 grams per pound of body weight. Yeah. And I just think that protein intake all around, you know, especially from a metabolic rate standpoint is just so underrated. I think, you know, something that was very eye opening to me as I've learned more about nutrition over the years is the fact that like, it's crazy guys, like 60 to 70%, I would say for most people, 70% of your total calories expended in a given day is coming from that resting metabolic rate. So this is where like, you know, why would we not seek to increase our muscle tissue? You know, a lot of people think like, increase muscle mass. Like I'm going to get bulky. I'm going to get like a bodybuilder and just look at most guys out there. Like most guys like want to literally be bulky and jacked and like they can't even achieve that. So just take that all, you know, with a grain of salt, understand that, you know, you're not going to become like some monster overnight by increasing your protein intake. Like we're talking like lean quality muscle tissue, muscle mass. That is what's going to happen. You know, when you're hitting that one gram per one pound of body weight, there's a good chance a lot of you out there are not training with the kind of training volume that's going to elicit that big, you know, grotesque, like bodybuilding muscular physique, like that you see with the IFBB, whatever pros um, and whatnot. And us as women, we also don't have high enough testosterone levels to get like huge bulky muscles. And one thing I will say too, with a lot of people who start lifting and start to say like, oh, I'm not going to resistance strain or I'm not going to eat enough protein because I am getting, and people use the word bulkier, meaning they feel like whether that's puffier or they just feel like they are gaining size. A lot of it is that you're building muscle mass under your fat. So you're not experiencing fat loss because you're not in a deficit or you're not eating enough protein or enough goal foods, if you fill your diet with processed foods, sweets, refined carbohydrates, and alcohol, and you're lifting for the first time, yeah, you're going to see an increase in your muscle mass, and you may not be seeing fat loss at the same time. So it's important to make diet one of the main focuses. Yeah, and that bulkiness that Christine is talking about, where like where you're just putting on mass, like it's not like lean mass, but you're just putting on mass, like body fat and muscle tissue, it's all from calories. So like if you're experiencing that, it's not coming from the protein you're consuming. It, it might be if you're consuming it in excess, but nine times out of 10, it's because you're eating too many calories at the end of the day. It's either calories we're not accounting for, we're not accurately tracking the things we are eating and are inputting into our food logs. So it's just something to be really mindful of as you are trying to achieve fat loss in your own fitness journey. But just understand, like I, I just like, I cannot, you know, stress how important that protein intake is. And for most people out there, how much of a massive difference it would make in their body composition if they just start eating a little bit more protein. Because I'm telling you guys, like every time I travel, every time I eat with other people, every time I'm in like public you, and, and like you're picking different things from restaurants, we just are completely under consuming protein as a, as a society. Like if you go into like literally Chipotle is such a great example of this, like go into Chipotle and just pay attention the next time they give you like the servings of each individual food item. It's always like a plethora of rice, of beans, um, you know, all the carbohydrates. And then they're giving you four ounces of chicken. Like I eat 16 ounces of chicken at lunch. And I That's quadruple. Seven that is, to eight. And yeah. even when I ask for double chicken, it's still like less than a serving of what I would eat. And we're eating normal amounts of protein. Like the people look at us like we're fucking crazy at the store when we buy all this like meat and protein because like it's just so sad that in today's world, like that's not normal. Like eating actual regular amounts of protein is now deemed not normal. Every time we grocery shop, the cashier says this cart is way too healthy or like that's enough. Pro like you're eating that for the whole week. Like it looks like we're stocking up for like a month compared to the naked eye. But once you have that perspective of how much protein impacts your hunger levels, your body composition, it's like you just see things through a different lens for sure. And even when we eat out, we'll order extra protein and like we, we get some silly looks too. But one thing I do want to point out with the power of increasing your lean muscle mass is that I'm pretty short. So my BMR is very low being 5'3 on a good day and my aura ring and also my in-body scans over the past like 
three years or so since I've been strategically like reverse dieting, focusing on progressive overload more because of Zach. Um, but also my BMR and lean muscle mass has increased and I can tangibly see on my aura ring. I've had it for this fall will be two years and my BMR has consistently increased over time, which is really cool to see the data of like the BMR of like what my body burns just at rest. Like if I lay in bed all day, that with muscle on my frame, I'm burning more just existing and functioning throughout my day. If I sat at my desk and worked all day, that would obviously increase my caloric burn by eating more protein, having more lean muscle mass, which brings me to point number four. But before I dive into that, which is neat, your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, aka your steps, I do want to point out a frequently asked question I get about protein intake in the calorie deficit. You kind of have to stretch those calories like I talked about. And there are certain protein sources that help in like a reverse diet maintenance phase to hit your calorie and protein goal versus fitting the puzzle piece in a calorie deficit or in a sustainable fat loss phase. And that is like looking at chicken breast versus chicken thigh. Personally, I'm eating chicken thigh right now because I'm reverse dieting. It's more calories per ounce of protein versus chicken breast. So if you need to stretch your calories further, a leaner source of protein or a more volume food when it comes to protein intake would be chicken breast that's completely lean, like four, six ounces, for example. It would be less calories than if I was eating six ounces of chicken thigh because of the fat content. And the fat content's not bad. Like you should be having healthy fats at your meals. It's just, it's just math, honestly. Like when there's fat content and protein in your protein source, it's not as much of a volume food as if you're eating protein that's just protein. So like salmon is a good example too. It's high in protein, but it also has healthy fat. So it's more calories than like shrimp, which is just protein. And it's less calories per gram of protein, if that makes sense. So if you want to stretch your calories out further, aim for a leaner source, like a ribeye. When we first started dating, we would eat ribeyes for dinner like every night. Your girl (laughs) needed a sirloin or a strip steak. (laughs) You needed a filet. It's less calories per gram of protein. I'm like, oh, I'm eating protein. I was also eating a ton of fat, which racked up in calories. So I thought I was in a deficit. Little did I know, because I didn't really eat red meat like a lot growing up. I grew up in a house of women. We ate salads, soups, special K, that kind of stuff. And when I started dating Zach, it was like steaks, red meat, chicken thigh. Yeah, volume foods are really like, that is honestly, in my opinion, like that's the biggest key to like weight management and fat loss. Like, and that's probably the coolest thing for us to witness as coaches when we start training clients is they're like, oh my God, like I found this, you know, food source, this carb source, this, you know, protein source that I can eat so much of this for like, little to no calories like this is freaking awesome like i know that like for me it was so eye-opening and i know for clients of ours like that's why tracking is so important like it's such an educational process more than anything and when you guys really discover these volume foods especially like volume foods that you genuinely enjoy to consume it's just completely completely eye-opening you know to see how much more food you can eat like especially if you're a big eater like me like i can absolutely just crush food And I really have to lean into the volume foods in order to get the most bang for my buck for what I'm eating to keep myself satiated during these cutting phases or during, you know, a calorie deficit, for example. So I'm telling you guys, you know, track the food, get an idea of what volume foods you enjoy, what volume foods work for you. It is truly, in my opinion, like the biggest key to fat loss and weight loss. Another key, like I said, is that neat. And while Zach was talking, I pulled out my aura stats to give you guys, once again, some more proof. We're big data people. And neat is basically your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, meaning the calories you're burning outside of the gym. In college, we used to call this um, an active couch potato. I literally had this on my exams as an exercise (laughs) science master student of what is an individual who works out for one hour and sits the rest of the day. And it predisposes you to a lot of diseases like heart disease, diabetes, because even though you're lifting and resistance training, of course, something's better than nothing. But if you're getting less than like 7,000 steps a day, you are missing out on so many calories that you could be burning. But it's not just the calories. Ultimately, it comes down to your like heart health, your internal health. Like walking is such an underrated hack that you can weave into your routine. And something as simple as like going on a walk on your lunch break, taking the stairs instead of the elevator. Like in our last apartment, we lived on the fifth floor, which was like 10 flights of stairs up, 10 flights of stairs down. So we started taking the dogs on walks through the, taking the stairs instead of the elevator. And that was all the cardio, quote, cardio we needed in the winter months when our steps were dramatically cut. We live in Ohio. If you don't know, it's absolutely freezing. And, you know, the Husky, like, of course, he wants to go on walks more in the winter than the summer because of the heat. But obviously our activity was slashed because we're not going on as long of walks. We're not like running outside. You know, it's just all seasonal. And obviously that shifts and old us would see an increase in our weight. Our clothes would fit tighter in the winter. And we're like, hmm, I wonder why. But I pulled up my TDEE stats. 
from a day where I hit half of my step goal. And this is going to sound crazy, but I'm training for a 10K. I sit all day for work. It's the summer months. I was in a cut. I like to hit 15,000 steps per day in the summer months. This day specifically, I hit 8,600. I think it was a day where I drove to and from Akron. My total calorie burn was 2,000 calories. So like I said, with my BMR being a shorter woman, I'm like, I think I burned like 1,375 just existing. And then with 8,000 steps, 8,600 to be exact, and my thermic effect of food, I burned around 2,000 calories. Of course, this isn't like the end all be all. I don't look at this TDE and say, this is exactly what I burned for the day. Of course, it's a good ballpark just to compare. So that was a day of 8,000 steps. And on a day where I actually hit my step goal, I burned 2,600 calories. So that's a 600 calorie difference. And once again, that's not like the end all be all. Activity trackers obviously have room for error too, but that's a huge difference. As you can see in my total daily calorie burn, just from steps, like my workouts, everything was the same that day. My nutrition was most likely the exact same, but it was just my step difference that caused a 600 calorie burn. So it's a good frame of reference if you're someone who's looking at your calorie deficit to increase your steps over time. I typically say for clients like 7,000 is the bare minimum on like a rest day to prevent any sedentary lifestyle. It also helps promote recovery. If you're sore, you're not recovering as well from workouts. Movement is truly medicine, but it also, also helps you recover. So 7,000 steps is that minimum, especially if you work a sedentary job and then over time to create more of a calorie deficit. I'm the type of person where I'd rather move more than eat less. I think it helps me create more balance and more sustainability. So over time, I would increase to like 8,000 steps, 9,000 steps, 10,000 steps. And that's how I got to where I'm at now. Because in my cut, I personally didn't touch my calories. I just increased my steps from 12,000 to 15. And that's where I've stayed. And now I'm increasing calories because I'm training for a 10K. So my steps are going to continue to stay high. My food is coming up over time. So a couple of easy ways to increase your neat. We both have walking pads we got from Amazon. Um, we both also warm up on the treadmill. I think we talked about this in a recent podcast episode where we'll stop on the treadmill for like 10, 15 minutes beforehand. Like I typically like look at my workout, clear messages, respond to DMs or whatever that may be. Like you can habit stack your time on the treadmill. I have a lot of clients say like, what do you do on the treadmill? I get so bored and I'm like, I like to watch YouTube videos. So I kind of reward myself for getting my steps in. I'll watch YouTube while I'm on the treadmill. Or if you watch, Zach's probably going to roll his eyes. If you watch like reality TV, Pair that time with treadmill time. I have a lot of clients who will watch like The Bachelorette or Kardashians, whatever that may be, Summer House. And I'm like, just watch an episode while you walk on the treadmill. It's kind of like you're habit stacking something you don't necessarily want to do with something you do want to do. But on a productive side of things, like in the morning when I'm clearing my WhatsApp messages, and for anyone who works on like any, you know, workplace, you probably have an email. So if you clear your emails while you're walking on the treadmill, an hour will pass and you'll be like, oh my gosh, that felt like five minutes. So walking helps you feel number one, more energetic while you're working. And number two, you can easily front load your day with steps while doing something kind of mindless or something like if I even walk when I'm on calls and it's not that obvious if you go at a slow pace, but it's something you can have at stack. And also you can go on walks on your lunch break. You can take the stairs. Like I said, all those things do add up over time, but it's small habits that add up and it's small increases. Just like with protein, if you go from 7,000 steps to 10 right away, it may feel really difficult to fit it into your day. But if you slowly increase like by a thousand, it will feel so much easier and a lot more sustainable. Yeah, I think that just neat activity and steps in general are just so heavily underrated. And I'll give two quick examples where this has made a real big impact in my own life and a client's life. And for me specifically, I remember back to about two winters ago when I was still using the Whoop fitness tracker. I remember that, you know, I was basically talking with Christina. I was trying to enter into a cutting phase where I was putting my calories down into my deficit calories. And I was eating at those calories and I was noticing my body composition kind of going the opposite direction. I was putting on a little bit more body fat. I noticed the scale was going up and I was like, Christina, like, what the hell is going on? Like, I was getting so frustrated. I was like, why am I gaining weight right now? Like, I'm literally like, tracking diligently. I'm doing everything right, you know, in quote, um, excuse me, we hear that a lot, obviously, but I just thought I was doing everything right. I was, you know, tracking these calories. I was hitting them consistently. I was on my feet in the gym a lot. So I'm like, you know, I have to be getting, you know, a lot of non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, and a lot of exercise activity, thermogenesis between my workouts and then standing and being on my feet with clients in the gym. I'm like, where's the missing piece? And I remember she was like, you really should start tracking your steps, like get an actual tangible idea of where they're at. Because unfortunately, and this is honestly the only thing that we really have against the whoop is the fact that there's no way to track steps. And so I actually, she gave me 
my old Apple watch that I had given her and I started using it and I started tracking my steps. And in my mind, I thought I was getting a ton of movement being on my feet in the gym. And then after a couple of days of using the Apple watch, I'm like, holy shit, I'm getting like 6,000 steps, like 5,000 steps some days. I'm like, I am way off. And so it was extremely eye-opening to see how big of an impact that NEAT was having on my total daily energy expenditure. And as soon as I started to elevate that NEAT, get it above that 10K threshold, me eating at those calories, those deficit calories I was at, were then trending me in the right direction. My body composition was changing. I was, I was the scale was going down. You know, some of those measure, tangible measurables were happening in my favor simply from just tracking those steps. And then that was really the biggest, you know, eye-opening thing for me. That's honestly like the only thing, like I said, I have against the whoop is the fact that it does not account for your neat. And that's a huge portion of your guys' calories. So like if you're someone who has a whoop and you ever wondering like, you know, why does this calorie amount seem so much lower or like, why does it seem so low relative to what I think I'm burning or what maybe I'm getting through my calculation for my maintenance calories? And that is why, because that fitness tracker does not track your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And then I have another good example of this with a client where, you know, he came into my program looking to lose weight, looking to lose body fat. And we started tracking like I always do for my first week with clients. And he was literally eating like below his BMR, 16, 1800 calories with a 2000 calorie BMR. Very, very evident that we needed to reverse diet. We needed to start increasing his calories over time. And I remember we ended up getting up to about 2300 calories. And he was like, um, you know, five out of five satisfied, like hunger levels are absolutely capped. Like I've got nothing. I, I literally, the guy, he could not eat any more food. Like he could not get up to his maintenance. So his maintenance were 3000 and I only had him at 2300. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, we're getting five workouts in a week. He's doing really solid hypertrophy resistance training, progressive overload. He's doing conditioning in his workouts. You know, he's, he's eating high protein. He's eating minimally processed, like all of these, you know, basically dots were connecting that he was doing all this stuff right. The only thing that we weren't accounting for were the steps. And so as soon as we started tracking steps, as soon as we started making a 10,000 calorie goal, it is insane. We were able to get like just increasing that neat enabled him to continue through his reverse diet. And we were able to successfully get all the way up to 3000. Now I have him in a deficit in a cutting phase and he is, the weight is literally just falling off of his body so fast. So this is really why, guys, it's so important to always remember it's not just your exercise that you're doing that's burning calories. It is also your resting metabolic rate, which as we talked about before, that's 60 to 70% of your total calories burned in a given day. That means that literally 30 to 40% of your calories, that's the only portion that's coming from both neat and eat. So your workouts and then the movement outside of your workouts. And so that's where a lot of people miss out on those steps. It can be an absolute, absolute game changer for you in your fitness journey, which brings us to number five, which is to be consistent long enough for protocols to actually work. And this is something that we see all the time where, you know, we have a client, for example, um, you know, who's tracking diligently, you know, Monday through Thursday, but then, you know, Friday, nothing tracked, you know, Saturday, nothing tracked. Sunday, sometimes nothing tracked. And then we get back to Monday and we start putting together consistent, or the client, you know, starts to put together consistent weeks like that. And then they're like, Hey, I think something's got to change. I think we need to change our protocols. You know, this isn't working. And it's like, hold on, you know, pump the brakes. Let's reassess what's happening Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because that does matter. Those calories matter. Those are playing into your total average for that week. And so a lot of times it's not about constantly changing and, and adjusting and changing and adjusting protocols. It's about just getting better at what you're already doing and being good enough with those protocols for long enough to see that progress trending over time. And I would say that that's one of the most challenging things to do because we live in a culture, we live in a society that, you know, it's, it's Jeremy Scott always says it, you know, we want microwave results in a crockpot culture. You know, this is shit that's going to take time that our efforts have to compound over time for us to see these results that we ultimately want to see. And so that's why it's so crucial, you know, to just stay the course and to, you know, have those protocols, have those targets, those daily targets, in mind and and su- try to successfully stick to those 80 to 100% of the time. You know, Chris and I talk about our, with our clients a lot like the 80-20 rule. That doesn't mean 80% of the time adhering to your goals, 20% of the time, you know, binge drinking, binge eating off the rails. That means that 80% of the time, you know, we're filling our total calorie goal with goal foods. 20% of 
you know, our week, essentially, we're filling those calories with soul foods. We're still hitting our calorie goal. We're not talking about, you know, completely blowing it out of the park and blowing it out of the water with, you know, overconsumption and stuff like that. Like we're not talking about, you know, that kind of percentage breakdown or ratio. We're really talking about how are we filling that daily calorie goal when we look at the week as a whole. And something I like to say with my clients is like on a grading scale, and I started doing this with my group coaching girls a while back where like we would do monthly check-ins. So we had a whole month assessment. So I would say like, hey, here's your report card for the month. If we look at how often we hit your water goal, how often we hit your step goal, a lot of times it takes a lot of self-awareness to be like, oh, wow, I got a 60%, which is on a grading scale for school, an F. And if you got 70%, that's a C. 80%, that's a B. 100%, 90 to 100 is obviously an A. So if you're trying, if you're coaching yourself or you're working with a coach and you're not seeing that fat loss you're looking for, take a step back and zoom out and look at how consistent you've been in the past weeks week, two weeks in the past four weeks and give yourself a grading scale. Like obviously we do that for our clients and it's important to have that self-awareness and say, okay, if I'm like an A plus student and I want A plus results, I have to hit hundred percent, 90% minimum in order to see those changes. Otherwise you're going to be in a fat loss phase for way longer and you're not going to see as much results. And in a fat loss and cutting phase, you want to be very efficient with your time. You don't want to be in a deficit for months and months and months and months, you want to be get in and get out kind of thing. And the way you do that is by sticking to the protocols in a reverse maintenance and a cut. And you won't have to be like cycling through this or being 100% consistent forever. Once you get the results you're looking for, obviously you still want to keep those habits in place, but you can have more flexibility at maintenance once you've got the results you're looking for versus flexing that balance muscle and untracking meals when you're in the heat of a cutting phase or in the heat of a fat loss phase when you're looking for those results. So one last thing I want to say before getting into the very last tip for sustainable fat loss is, like Zach said, you have to master the basics. So you have to focus on like doing the simple things repeatedly. Really well. Really well. Yeah. And those basics include like hitting your calorie goal, hitting your protein goal, hitting your water and step goals. Those basics, you just got to repeat them. You got to put in the reps in order to see the progress come through. You don't have to scroll. And this is the fitness space is very loud. And I get that. It's overwhelming. When you see all these things on TikTok that work for so-and-so, or you see all these different diets or all these different methods of workouts and group classes and all these things, it's very overwhelming. But if you stick to the basics repeatedly, you're going to see way more results and it's going to be sustainable, which is the whole point of this podcast episode is to do this for a long period of time. And the last one is combining strength training with cardio. I see a lot of people when they want to go into a calorie deficit, they just want to quit lifting, do cardio or do cardio classes. but it's, you don't need to subscribe to one or the other. You can use them hand in hand to see fat loss and muscle growth with that body recomposition. And this can really aid in your fat loss efforts. And I kind of want to explain the difference between like the two types of cardio, lists and hit. Low intensity steady state is where you're doing it for a longer period of time. So this is where like an incline walk, for example, or like a lower intensity run where like you're at 50 to 70% of your heart rate max versus doing high intensity interval training, which I think you can kind of balance resistance training, high intensity interval training, and less. The high intensity interval training is like very high percentage of your heart rate max for a shorter period of time compared to less where it's lower percent of your heart rate max for a longer period of time. So I like to kind of weave all these into my training when I'm trying to focus on fat loss. I'll lift for four days with progressive overload. I know when Zach, he'll weave in high intensity, <laughs> a little hit circuit on my Wednesday workouts for cardio and core. And then we get our list in on those lifting days by walking slash running. Yeah. And I just think that this is so underrated to talk about because I think hit is just like the primary go-to for most people. We're, you know, so focused on, you know, doing that high intensity interval training. But from my experience personally and in coaching clients, it is very, very difficult to track if that's like your main source of activity. Like I remember when I was doing more like cross training style, um, workouts and training and I was, you know, building up basically a training program for myself that, you know, was very much so like heavy Olympic weightlifting, you know, doing a lot of high intensity interval training circuits and stuff like that. I remember like my results were so fleeting because it was so difficult to track. You know, I'd be in, you know, a, a scenario where I was you know, feeling really lean, but then, you know, I was in another scenario where my body was, you know, just craving nutrients, burnt out, you know, being in a calorie deficit, doing super high intensity interval training that it was just so hard to sustain. And the beauty of combining the strength training and the cardio is when you are doing the low intensity cardio, it's not disrupting that 
basically that nervous system fatigue and that just general physiological fatigue that you're going to have if you do the high intensity interval training. You know, any of you out there who have, you know, have done like a high intensity, a really, really, really hard, like near maximal heart rate circuit or, or like conditioning piece, like you are completely like laid out on the ground smoked after. And then that kind of like trickles into the day where you have like that brain fog and that mental fatigue. But the beauty of that low intensity cardio is that's like, you know, a lot of people talk about like it's the beautiful, like kind of fat burning zone in that like zone two, zone three. And it really is because, you know, you are burning those calories, but it's not at a, such an intense level that it's disrupting again, the central nervous system and the body's ability to recover. So that's why, you know, you can very, very easily blend like more strength and hypertrophy focused resistance training with low intensity cardio for the perfect formula of recovery. Um, you know, muscle growth as well as high, high calorie burn. So we're not vilifying, you know, high intensity interval training. Like Christina said, I have it in my program. I'm just very, very intentional about how I prescribe it. I only am doing it three times max, most times two times a week, because even some of those conditioning circuits and, you know, the program that Christina just described, those are nonetheless aerobic. Those are still, you know, within that kind of 50 to 70% of the max heart rate. There's only certain ones where, you know, we are pushing into that anaerobic threshold of 80, 90, 100% of your one rep, or I'm not, not of your one rep max, but of your maximum heart rate. And if you guys want to know how to calculate your max heart rate to get these percentages, it's 220 minus your age. So for me, 220 minus 29, almost 30. But um, one last thing I do want to mention is um, for a lot of women, like hormonally hit is not something you want to be doing if you're trying to balance your hormones. If you have PCOS, for example, so doing like hit classes, boot camp classes, like F45s, orange theories, when you're trying to see fat loss, your body's going to constantly be in an inflamed stress state because that's spiking your cortisol levels. If you do it on a consistent basis, you are what you do most of the time. So if you're lifting those four days a week, you weave in some hit in your ovulation phase, for example, when your hormones allow for it. Then you can do that low intensity during a week where like you're on your cycle or your hormones are shifting into PMS, which is where like doing hit would only do more harm than good. Yeah. So, I mean, take like a, you know, working professional, you know, similar to like what Chris and like our age range, Chris and I's age range, like late twenties, early thirties, you know, you're working strenuous hours. You're working, you know, a busy, hectic job. You're super stressed, your cortisol spiked. And then imagine on top of that, your main source of exercise and movement is high intensity interval training where you're spiking that cortisol even more. You're also inhibiting your body's ability to mentally and physically recover properly. So it's a formula, honestly, for kind of disaster. And that's where, you know, I think a lot of people accidentally, without even knowing it, stumble into that. Once again, we're not vilifying it. I love it. I freaking love HIT. I still post it, you know, on my social media and stuff like that. I love doing it. It's just we have to do it in doses. It's like anything else. Balance it with the other activity that you're doing, and you're going to be just fine. Yeah, you have to be very strategic about your programming, which is why we do what we do, obviously, because we know it's overwhelming. We know it sounds very complicated, but we do all of these things for our clients, which is why we're coaches. Um, so last thing I want to say about combining strength training and cardio is that when you're in a fat loss phase or in a cut, you still want to focus on progressive overload. It's not a time to be like, oh, I'm cutting. I'm not going to focus on PRs because that's where you see that fat loss accelerate is when you're building lean muscle mass and really generating that like stimulus for your muscles. So having progressive overload, following a structured training program, we have plenty of episodes on like how to optimize your training, how to create progressive overload, how to train at the proper RPE. So you guys can go back and listen to all of those, but you still want to structure your training, like having progressive overload, lifting most days per week and weaving in cardio versus completely flipping the switch. Because what a lot of people do is they'll go hard on the cardio. And when you're in a calorie deficit, sometimes your body's going to burn muscle. So if you're in a state where you're burning so much fat and your body doesn't have enough calories to sustain your movement, you're going to pull away from your muscle, which then what, what does it do? Drop your metabolism. And then when you try to reverse diet or you try to have a weekend where you're not tracking or you're going over calories, your body's not burning in as many calories at rest because now your muscle mass is lower because we're doing too much cardio without strategically keeping that lean muscle mass with diet and training. So like I said, the goal isn't to be in a fat loss phase forever. We want it to be sustainable, but we also want you to be intentional. The quicker you see those results, it comes from being consistent and being adherent to your protocol. So be sure to track fat loss, not just by like, obviously the number on the scale is more so like obviously weight loss, but to track your fat loss, track your measurements. For most women, I say check, track your chest, waist, and glutes. For men, you could probably track all three of those same measurements. You could track your arms and legs. But what I will say is there's a lot of room for error when you track your like arms and legs because it's hard to get the exact same spot every time. Your chest, waist, and glute, 
chest, waist and glutes, it's easy to hit the same mile markers every single time. So I would track your measurements. You'll see those go down as you experience fat loss. You'll see it in your progress picture. So take those on a weekly basis. You want to do measurements more so on a monthly basis. And then also pay attention to your body fat percentage. Like we have a scale that tracks body fat. It's not the most accurate, but an in-body scan, for example, if your gym has that for free, I would recommend doing those on a monthly basis because you can see your body fat. Typically what I see clients do in body recomp, body fat goes up, muscle mass goes down. And guess what? Those are happening simultaneously. Maybe the number on the scale stays the exact same, but your body composition looks different. Your clothes fit different. I've had a client who's been in a calorie deficit for a little bit. And she's like, people keep telling me I keep losing weight and losing weight and losing weight. And she's like, my weight's been hovering around the same for the past like three or so weeks. And I'm like, well, let's track measurements and photos. And it looks drastically different because there are times where you'll see one metric change, like your measurements and your photos while your weight may be staying the same, but your body is losing fat and either building muscle or maintaining it. So it's important to be intentional with not only all of these six habits we mentioned, but also how you're tracking your progress. Because I know the biggest thing that causes people to fall off track or throw in the towel is when they don't see results. So if you're not tracking those results, how are you going to keep the momentum going? How are you going to keep, I hate saying motivation going, but like it's motivating to see progress. And how are you going to see that progress if you're not being intentional with how you're tracking it? Yeah. And I think the tracking is just so underrated. Like if you guys just take the discipline, like so many people have a limiting mindset to tracking their food, for example, like I just could never do it. Like I could never track my food. It's like, one, well, one, yes, you could. It's just like you have the mindset that you can't. And if you tell yourself that, obviously you definitely can't. Um, but it is the most underrated way to just track your, like just to get to that result. Like it will expedite everything when you just start tracking. It's just like our financials. You know, if you, if you are going to want to put yourself in a good financial position, you're not just going to like never check your bank statements. You know, you're not just going to spend a bunch of money and never check your income. Like we would be dead broke like if if you operated in that way. So, you know, we all are t- pay very close attention to our finances. Start treating your health in the same way. Exactly. And what I was just going to say was like, obviously in our tracking software for our clients, we use systems to track progress pictures, measurements, and also like body fat and muscle mass. So if you are looking for like that metric of tracking, the accountability, someone to take care of all of this stuff for you, obviously we have our coaching links in the applications below, but like Zach said, like his blueprint is so legit. I see it in his client transformations every single day and those spots are very limited. So be sure to head to the link in the bio for the Everyday Athlete Blueprint. And also next week, like I said, we have a birthday episode for Z. So life lessons coming your way for episode number 100. And on that note, We just want to flex our gratitude muscle for all of you listening. We wouldn't be here at 100 episodes if it wasn't for you guys supporting the podcast, if it wasn't for you guys giving us that feedback on what you want to hear, sharing the episodes on your story. So if you guys could share this episode, I know so many people are looking to lose fat in a sustainable way, and this could save someone from doing a fad diet or a crash diet where they're right back where they started. So please share this episode. Tag me, tag Zach, tag Life Rewired, and hence the link in the show notes for Nash Bars and the Everyday Athlete Blueprint application. Peace out, guys.